four I'm going to go with, um, and focuses on, on uh, SPQ Gold sales behavioural recruitment profiling and ongoing development. So I, I wanted to bring Dom on the conversation. We've done a few sort of sessions with Dom in the past just to talk a little bit about sales profiling how do you find a great salesperson is there such a thing in recruitment has that changed has it evolved and anything we can understand really about improving our ability i suppose as recruitment leaders to find better people engage better people lock in people and that sort of stuff so so first of all dom thanks for thanks for joining me today how, how are things james thank you yes busy thank you your members are keeping us uh very busy so uh it's good to see the market seems to be a bit quieter but certainly certainly still busy and uh yeah we're, we're running a lot of uh spq assessments for people so yeah very busy thanks no good yeah i mean we see, we've seen that as well some parts of the market carrying on being really buoyant some have softened a little bit probably about 20 30 percent sort of softening um, but what that's actually what we've seen ironically is uh, or interestingly is um an increase in conversions of jobs so i think we've got a little bit more time to get those jobs filled now which is not, not can't be a bad thing i think so that's all pretty good well yeah i think the best description uh i heard from a client was we're, we're no longer crazy busy but we're still busy so it's yeah. removing the crazy is no bad thing sometimes yeah definitely and if people are obviously using spq then it means that they're hiring as well which is good so we're seeing we're seeing that continuous desire to scale and that confidence to scale right now which i think which i think is brilliant dom do you, do you want to just um for those who aren't familiar with spq gold and pool Wars associates do you want to just give us a quick sort of overview and background Sure. Yeah, we are the uh, the UK representatives for for SPQ Gold. It's a uh, it's a sales assessment. It's used with existing teams, but its primary use uh, is for hiring. Uh, you've got somebody at interview who looks great, sounds great, saying all the right things, uh, well briefed, uh, displaying all the attributes that uh, you want to see once they're in the job. Uh, what this test helps to do is actually measure whether you're going to get those day in, day out. So it's a, a behavioural sales test. And you're quite right, we've been involved with it for a long time now, since 94. Actually, scarily, as a business, we, we've been going since 1981. But we got involved in these guys on behalf of a client, actually, British Airways, when we were doing some sales development work with them. And they'd heard good things about it. And we've been advocates and uh, more recently, or I say recently, since the early 90s now, uh, we've been representatives for them officially, uh, helping people to avoid those bad hires. Oh, James, sorry, I've lost you. Sorry, I muted myself. My dog was running fast, so I thought I'd better mute myself, but I obviously need to unmute myself. The, um, one of the, I, I'm slightly cynical about these types of things, and I'm a big. We use them, so don't get me wrong. We use them all the time. Um, but you know, being a salesperson myself, I'm cynical because I presume I can fix it. So if if you've got a bunch of salespeople who are doing assessment, surely they're really good at fixing the results and making sure that what comes up in the results is pretty much what the person is going to want to hear. Uh, some might surprise you uh, that they are extraordinarily honest, sometimes a bit too honest. We we can measure actually whether people are a bit brutal on themselves. But yes, uh, embellishment is is a, a, a thing. It's an official scale. It's called embellishment, another scale called positive posturing. Uh, yeah, there are filters built into the assessment to be able to pick that up, not just to uh, to, to question how accurate the, the rest of the results are, Often they, it's a true filter. Uh, you know, it doesn't actually 
reduce the accuracy of the report, but what it does is give you some extra information like, hey, you, you've, you're likely to have somebody here who will crack on with business development, but you just need to, to keep an eye on the fact that they might not always be as economical, uh, or sorry, as uneconomical with the truth, truthful as, uh, as you might expect. So yeah, it, it's, uh, the, the research started in the late 70s uh, at Behavioral Sciences Research Press, which is the company behind this. Uh, it's 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 always been about sales. So the, the first generation of the assessment in 1983, I think it was, um, you know, we already have filters built in to be able to to pick that up because you're quite right. You you expect people um, to try and put their best foot, foot forward, but you need to be able to to measure how honest uh, they're, they're approaching or how honestly they're approaching the questionnaire. Yeah, for sure. And, and obviously, you guys don't just work with recruitment companies. You work with lots of different businesses. I mean, you talked about British Airways, I think, is one of your first clients. But the um, let, let, let's just look at BD. I mean, we're focused on BD people predominantly. But, you know, is there a difference, do you think, first and foremost, between a BD person in recruitment and a BD person outside of recruitment? Is there like a different type of behavioural profile that you'd expect to see in a recruiter that would be different from maybe a... I don't know, a photocopy of a salesperson or an estate agent or, or whatever. Yes, I, I think there needs to be a, a different requirement for people going into recruitment. We work, uh, you know, as I mentioned, uh, in, in, as you mentioned, other industries, uh, financial services, tech companies, leasing companies, all sorts of different organisations who are in sales as well. And what we found is that recruitment is... It's, it's a long way along the scale in terms of sales in this, how proactive somebody needs to be. There, there are quite a few jobs that we still uh, get involved in where to a degree you can hide, uh, you, you can get away with being uh, passive, certainly retail uh, sales uh, can fall into that category. Um, but in recruitment, there's nowhere to hide unless you're extremely lucky and that often doesn't last forever. Uh, people need to be initiating, maintaining conversations and and you know James when we're talking about BD we're talking about proactive opportunity creating so you know that's that's whether a delivery person who is who should be advocating engaging uh passive and, and existing candidates just as much as somebody who's in a pure BD role and of course you know somebody who encapsulates both in a 360 role mm -hmm. so it, can you can you actually create or have you created the ideal recruiter profile I'm not sure there is an ideal one. Um, that <laughs> there's good and bad. Yeah, uh, we 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 we're always um, we're always careful with um, the assessment, not to to recommend that people aren't too too prescriptive with it because it's measuring how comfortable and how much appetite, resilience, and commitment somebody has towards the proactive part of the job. Mm -hmm. it, we're not measuring skill or ability. Um, you think of the early rounds of, of X Factor as a comparison we always use, you know, you, the people screeching away, very comfortable about being out there looking for opportunities, but actually they, they, they've got no skill. So um, our clients tend to, to use this towards the final stages of the process where they've, they've already established that this person looks good and, and clearly on paper they seem capable of doing the job, but actually in day in day out behavioral terms when they resort to or revert to habit level behaviors are they going to get on with it so um yes of course you, we see some very good profiles um but the person has to have ability as well of course they do and and they have to be a cultural fit for you as well yeah we we do see a massive variance james in reports really? uh, 
Yeah, massive. But, but, but there must be some common stuff in there. I mean, you mentioned two words already, like proactiveness and resilience. So, you know, presu yeah. presumably they sit right. I mean, they would in any sales role in theory, especially if it's if it's a sales role that requires someone to be outbound, unlike retail necessarily. So, you know, presumably yeah. there's a bunch of traits that would say, actually, these are the things that if you haven't got those, I really question your ability to break down doors and, and do new biz. Yeah, absolutely. And and those, we, we actually measure three uh, overarching, three three core areas. Um, the, the number one thing we measure is resilience uh, around that. Um, and I don't mean initial enthusiasm uh, or whether somebody, you know, who comes to interview runs marathons at the weekend. We're not talking about that kind of uh, initial energy uh, or energy, but for other pursuits, we're talking about resilience around day in, day out, proactive, uh, opportunity creating, BD, whatever you want to call it. Um, and that that comes in front of everything else. Resilience is vital. What comes second to that, but but not too far behind, the second area we measure is clarity and commitment. So, you know, whether you've got the resilience, have you actually also, uh, are you committed to the job? And interestingly, James, we're seeing that score deteriorate um, quite a lot over the past couple of, of years uh, that there may the multiple reasons I'm sure um, or we can say is objectively we're measuring a drop in that score where people the, the, the incidence of people who are less likely to commit to the job and treat it like their own little business uh, treat it like a career their heart be in it their why or, or however you want to describe it we're seeing that deteriorate and 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 just briefly the third area we measure um, alongside the resilience and the commitment is, well, when it comes to actually doing um, the salesy part of the job, whether that's with clients or candidates or both, um, are there areas of, of areas where people back away because they feel a bit uncomfortable, uh, you know, senior level contact, asking for referrals, even just generally being assertive enough and being comfortable chasing people and closing and holding firm on fees or asking for, for incremental or looking for incremental opportunities within accounts so those are the three core things we we measure and and the better you are across those three dials uh that's how we score the profile we we provide people with an overall score saying well you know what's their likely bd score um and that's what we see very massively that's that's really fascinating i mean there's, there's a whole bunch of things that's going through my head right now i mean you talk about that, if you go back to that resilience one to start with. So, you know, a lot of recruiters and, and me included, when I've been involved in building teams and stuff, is I, I, I always go to look at their extracurricular activities. Do they play rugby? Are they from a rugby club? Were they a captain in the rugby team? What position did they play? Because they you know were they in a leadership role that pitch and that sort of stuff. And I, I've always used that as a go-to thing. You're saying that potentially that's not necessarily transferable into a business environment necessarily. Yeah, in our experience, it's not as reliable as you might think. Really? That there aren't correlations because, you know, somebody has shown that they're competitive and they can commit uh, and, and put time and effort into uh, a, a certain aspect of their lives. What, what the issue is sometimes is that if it's not their passion, whereas rugby might be or netball or whatever it may be, that doesn't mean sales is their passion. So... What we often see, unfortunately, is that not translate somebody who, yeah, you know, if they wanted to do it uh, and had the will to do it, um, they they would they would probably be very competitive. But but is the will there in the first place to do something that's very different to to what they love, which might be charging around a, 
you know a 22 line or or, or the, the, the net the, the net ball court but uh, yeah, yeah we we do see a difference um but what we also see james um happen quite a lot is understandably people being recruited on personality uh if somebody's warm comes across well seems very confident and personable at interview of course you're going to gravitate towards them what the the research uh that these guys have been doing over 40 years now it carries on what they've found is that personality is a pretty poor predictor of sales performance it will tell you a lot of other stuff about team fit but if you want to measure whether they're going to sell and i'm sure you know business owners uh, and leaders listening to this will have had experiences of you know quite quiet reserved introverted people doing very well in sales roles and conversely people who seem very outgoing and confident have gone on to really struggle in them so that's why we with this test svq gold uh we were interested in measuring habit level behaviors uh when they're actually doing the sales part of the job as opposed to overarching personality that's really fascinating and, and you're right I mean, we do naturally gravitate towards personality because we presume if i like them then our clients will probably like them as well they want to have a conversation with them sort of stuff but i suppose if they're not answering the questions they're not asking for leads they're not able to close then it's a nice conversation that leads to nowhere so the um yeah that, that second piece you mentioned which obviously is linked to that i suppose which, which is about this sort of the commitment piece and being brought into it and you say it's deteriorating at the moment Mm. Um, just talk, talk me through that a little bit more because you know it, it, are you basically saying that there's more and more salespeople in the recruitment sector who are less engaged by their job right now um, and less engaged by the idea of being a salesperson in recruitment and they're just doing it because it's a job or what, what does that tell us yeah I, I think you always have to be careful uh, about interpreting data you know as I said earlier we, we've what we've got is the objective measurement what what when we come to explain the reasons behind that there's a bit of guesswork in there and, and and making assumptions and what i will say is we're seeing it across all sectors not just recruitment um my steer on it uh is that there's a lot to do with with covid in terms of people having a different outlook on careers and the, and the length of their careers and how long they commit to a particular job with in a particular sector or even with a just with the with the business mm. uh, I, I think there's been a change in that I also think there's a generational thing um, as well. Uh, as as a, a father of, of teenagers, um, that there is that there seems to be a different different outlook uh, as to how important a, a proper career path is, as opposed to just giving this a go. And of course, you know, the market has been very good for that age group, uh, even with with COVID. They they've had the choice and and that comfort zone to think, well, let's let's give it a good let's give it a go and if it doesn't work out there's always something else around the corner so that's my personal steer on it from what i've seen um but as i said all we can say definitely is that that goal level score which is an objective measurement out of 100 is is dropping yeah. over you know at the moment and continues to drop okay that's really really fascinating if we were one of the, one of the reasons why obviously people use the SBQ is to sort of help them um identify the right people for their industries the have you guns done some research about i suppose similar industries or similar profiles that would potentially work in the recruitment sector so i wake up tomorrow i'm going to hire 10 recruiters out from outside the industry is my, is my go-to place the, the, the most 
common or aligned industry? Is that real estate? Is that retail? Is it finance and banking? Is it? I, I see a hell of a lot of legal graduates in the recruitment sector. Um, yeah. Is there a link between being a legal graduate who didn't want to end up going to do law, but actually rather coming to recruitment? Can you? Is there, are, are there any trends coming through from this? Uh, again, it's it, it, we found it's a bit dangerous to to generalise. But but if I if I was going to generalise, which I will for you, please, please do. Thank um, you. Is that uh, probably the sweet spot we've seen? And that doesn't mean that you won't see very strong reports and very weak reports within in that area. But but the the, the where you have the best chance seems to be somebody who has a year or at least a year's experience. Uh, hopefully not less, because again, there's there's questions about their jumpiness, uh, job-wise, or their stickiness. Um, so they've had a year or so experience doing B2B sales, a proactive B2B job. Uh, that seems to be the sweet spot. So they understand the difference between that and a, a retail sales job, where you, you know it is a lot more passive. You have people coming to you, or or even a, a B2C job. Um, telesales, for example, where where it can be quite different and where they can shine potentially in that job and really struggle in recruitment. So uh, I would say that's probably the sweet spot. Uh, I've got a couple of uh, clients who swear uh, blind on on getting B two B car rental salespeople that they they get almost a hundred percent hit rate. But I, unfortunately, I think that well might be a bit dry now because <laughs> it's, it's got out. What I would say is, again, this is a bit anecdotal, but something just to consider that that anybody that you're looking at, if they have shown in the past some kind of entrepreneurial activity, even if they're a, a you know a grad or 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 a youngster with with no real job experience, even if they can prove they've done something at school or you know started a car washing business or whatever it is. That there seems anecdotally to be actually quite a strong correlation um, that people have essentially looked at running their own little business, which is, you know, what I would argue a good recruiter is always doing. Yeah, we, I suppose I default an entrepreneur is proactive, has to be proactive, has to be resilient, can't back away from uncomfortable situations or you don't make any money, you don't get paid, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, that would make sense, I suppose, in essence. So. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, um, as I say, we 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 I, I've heard it anecdotally quite a few times that, that there's a much better hit rate. It's not something we've measured, but uh, as you say, it makes sense. Yeah, my my only concern with entrepreneurs, I've, I've interviewed and recruited entrepreneurial people before, is is trying to keep them engaged with your business because if if you're an entrepreneur, you know by default you want to go and build stuff and create stuff and own stuff, and if you are just an employee then obviously that sort of suffocates that entrepreneurism a little bit. I mean, I don't know if that's true or not. I mean, again, we're yeah. Right, you know. Yes, yeah, so you know, again, in our experience, the, the, the businesses that have really hung on to people like that, where you would think, okay, you know, it's just a matter of time before you're going to lose them. They're going to either lose interest or their ambitions will will take them somewhere else that, that they can control, is to, to, to recognise the, the talent you've got and tie them in, um, yeah. tie them, tie them down with profit share. Um, you know, obviously, perhaps equity in the business. And actually, you know, again, most business owners, if you you think of your your spread of performers, it's the top ones that make the difference. They make all the difference. So actually, it's mm. 
sometimes a false economy not to do that. Yeah. Uh, risk losing them. Yeah. I, again, I, I've, I've seen the opposite effect of that, though. I think I've seen some recruitment leaders too quickly give away equity to people in, in too early stages because they were worried right from the very beginning. You know, and in the next thing you know, you've got people all in your business who shouldn't be in your business necessarily, or certainly shouldn't be having equity in your business. So, um, it's, yeah. it's that balance, right? It's finding it's finding the between two. I suppose the most important. They've got thing to is, perform first. They've got to perform first. Well, they've got, they've got to perform. I suppose our job is to keep them interested, really, isn't it? So, as an entrepreneur, yeah. we keep them interested. We um, a lot a lot of work has been done across TRN certainly, and you know, across the wider industry about account penetration, account management, um, focusing on getting more out of what we've already got as opposed to necessarily breaking down brand new doors and that type of stuff, which I think is a good thing. You know, I think I think we need both, obviously, in the business. You need to be able to lock in and secure what you've got and get more out of them as well as go and win new logos and et cetera. But um, talk, talk to me a little bit about account management profiles and how do they or do they differ in any, in any particular way to someone who's coming in who's a, who's a door breaker? We measure everything in the same way. Um, but obviously certain schools on the SBQ uh, hold different levels of importance depending on, on any role. Well, you know, whenever we, uh, a profile comes through to us, uh, we provide personalised interpretation uh, for the client and we're taking into account not only their backgrounds, the candidates' backgrounds, um, but also the, the type of job that they'll be going into and where they need to be proactive um, because they're, they're particular areas. You know, for, for example, if somebody... The major part of their job is is presenting uh, and group work. Uh, there's a particular scale we measure called stage fright, which you probably guess what picks <laughs> up. Uh, and you know that becomes way more important than it would for for a usual recruitment job, where in fact it's not particularly important. Whereas something like telephobia, referral aversion, over preparer, spending too much time planning and preparing at the expense of actually talking to people, uh, can get in the way. So. Yeah, we, we take that into account. And, and what we often see is people in account management roles fall into that, that passive category sometimes. And it's it's a key area to measure. Otherwise, somebody just becomes an order taker. If they are not being proactive with an existing account in terms of A, protecting what they've already got, but B, uh, looking for, for incremental opportunities, then they're, you know, they're not selling. Yeah. You, you you mentioned a really important word, telephobia. Um, I've got I've got lots of opinions, thoughts about this at the moment about telephone cold call reluctance, whatever you want to call it, however you want to describe it. Um, it. How how much do you think is the way business development has changed, supposedly changed, where it's become a lot more social media led, you know, personal branding and all that type of stuff. How much do you think that is impacting telephobia and almost like making it okay to have type thing as a salesperson? Because you know there are a lot of people who do hide behind personal branding and marketing. I'm a massive fan of personal branding and social marketing and social selling, and that I think is brilliant. But it's one part of the process up here. There's a massive chunk at the bottom bit, which is all about the proactiveness, picking up the phone, getting in front of customers, and that type of stuff, not having that stage fright piece. But you know that we 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 do see a lot more people in the industry who are probably a little bit more comfortable hiding behind an email or an email or a or a social media post. Are you seeing more of that happening at the moment? Is that you know, the norm now? Is it right? Is it wrong? Yeah, uh, I, I'd strongly agree with you. I, I think the telephone is still a critical part of the job. Um, you know, you, you you still need it. You still need it to to um initiate contact perhaps not cold but to maintain contact 
Uh, and often what we see is people with telephobia justify uh, not making phone calls and, and doing things, uh, communications in different ways, when actually it would have been much more effective for them to have a two-way conversation with that person at that point in time. Um, yes, uh, and funny enough, we measure things like online prospecting discomfort as well. So we do measure other areas. It's not just all about the telephone. But yeah, um, we are, again, that's one of the other schools that we are seeing get worse um, recently. And, you know, uh, talking about my teenagers again, you know, they're, they're very, their faces are planted in, in their phones uh, several hours a day, but they're not talking to people on them. Um, they're, they're typing away furiously. So uh, I, I'm sure that's something to do with it. But, but I, t I agree with you that the, the phone is, you avoid it at your peril, even with all the other, um, you know, effective means of, of getting hold of people and and advocating your yeah. assist. It's, it's, a, it's a fascinating question, I think, because you know there's another argument to say, well, if your kids are on not talking to people to their mates, but they're on their phone down here looking at this, but so are all their mates, and that's how they communicate today. Then, you know, maybe that's how customers want to be communicated to. They'd rather be down here like this. Um, having a Snapchat or whatever, then then having the telephone. I don't know, but I I, I agree. Yeah, and 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 often uh, I'm sure everyone finds it. You know, you, you have certain um, people that you deal with. Some prefer to speak on the phone. Others um, prefer uh, online. Uh, you know, email or, or WhatsApp, or whatever. But the key is not avoiding it because you're uncomfortable. Yeah, it's not using it when there's a better form available and what we often see is that people aren't uh not making calls because it, that's you know it's an inferior way of contacting the person at that point in time it's because they don't like doing it and they're making the excuse oh it's better for me to send them an email when actually at that point of time it isn't so that's what we're trying to pick up is the fear there if it's not there and the best means of contacting a client that client is by email or whatsapp or linkedin whatever then fine it's when they're avoiding it that, that, uh, that the problems begin to set in, and that that discomfort uh, is 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 rising uh, in terms of what we measure. Really interesting, that is. And Don't I think forget to follow the it just gets me thinking about immediately now. I think about all the questions I asked in the interview, and I, and am I asking completely the wrong bloody questions right now when I come to interview a salesperson, as opposed to trying to get underneath that fear and discomfort piece and that proactiveness piece and maybe we're just asking the wrong sort of stuff as opposed to that how nice are you and how would you chat up with a, a gatekeeper or whatever you know so okay um a couple of last questions for you if I, if I may the um obviously what, what, what a lot of people use you for is, is a predictor of what might happen do you measure once you've let's say let's say a client of yours has recruited 30 people uh, in recruitment using the sbq that's helped them do that do you then go back in a measure how the, a, their profiles have changed and how accurate the profiling was at the beginning, et cetera, which was question number one. And then question number two is how much of that is impacted by the manager that they go under when they join the business? Okay, well, firstly, the answer is yes, when we can, we do measure. It's difficult with most medium-sized businesses simply because of the, the numbers and the statistical significance. But when we, you know, we work with a few of the big recruiters uh, you know, when they've got hundreds of, of hires that they're making a year, if not thousands. Uh, and yeah, we do measure pilots. And 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 our 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 success rate is we 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 tend to halve their attrition. 
So um, that that's that's the standard. Usually, slightly better than half it. So, you know, you're never going to. People are are you're recruiting people, not machines. We we can never predict exactly uh, what's going to happen. It's not a crystal ball, uh, the SBQ. But what it does pick up is is how you know, very clearly how likely somebody is to cope with the sales part of the job. So obviously that that has a big impact. Hence, halving the attrition. Um, yes you know other factors make a huge difference like like um the manager uh that they report into one of the things we do constantly uh for want of a better word it, it is nag our clients to say look you know you you're using this um assessment as part of the uh, decision making process but if that person does go on to join what it's actually measuring is their likely habit level behavior so we might be saying to you um, here is Isabel's report. Um, she's likely to have a good level of resilience, be comfortable on the phone, be very easy to deal with, be committed to the job. But actually, bear in mind that she does struggle with senior level people at the moment. That's something you need to help her with. She doesn't like to ask for referrals. And, um, you know, sometimes she might try and juggle too many balls and uh, get, you know, not prioritised properly. Now, for, for, for a line manager... I was her line manager that's that's gold dust for me to know that right from the beginning so uh we do a lot of work around engaging the line managers to to make sure that they even if it's just picking a couple of areas out of the sbq we call it sbq 22 two areas of strength two areas of of weakness or, or development uh, is the, the, the probably the preferable words um but you know where they can really concentrate um, they can then concentrate on that person's strengths and also help, help them with the areas that they know that they're, they're potentially going to find more difficult. Yeah, fantastic. But but this has been um, this has been absolutely fantastic, Dom, it's re and it's really getting me thinking. And I think you know we we talk a lot to recruitment leaders about you know when you're recruiting for yourself, you've got to treat yourself like a million pound customer. So you've got to throw the warts and all of this and do it properly. And I think this is just getting me already thinking about the areas where we're probably a little bit casual and a bit light in, in our questioning and our focus. So really, really fascinating. I think to, to close it off from my point of view, I, I suppose any, uh, any tips or tricks or killer questions that you see that people should be asking, you know, what's, what's the best go-to way of finding that golden goose in a, in a recruitment sales environment? Well, hey, thank you, James. It's, it's uh, really enjoyed uh, having a chat with you about this. Um, I, uh, do you know my my biggest piece of advice would would be be fussier. Um, I, I see a lot of, of people, understandably, especially when you're under pressure to to fill a desk, um, and and somebody looks great, and apparently they've got three or four other offers on the table. I, I would still say be be fussy <laughs> because yeah. you you repent uh, at your leisure really uh with 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 bad decisions and people are so well so well briefed um again analogy we use is nobody picks their nose on first date you know you are not getting an accurate representation of that person however thorough you you um try to be through the interview process because it's it's an unavoidably artificial situation where people are on their best behavior um Obviously, from a, a personal point of view, uh, we can help you. Uh, I'm, I'm always happy. This is on, on the website, but we're always happy to run a free SBQ. They're, they're pay-per-use tests anyway. There's no licensing or anything. It's you know, People run one when they need one. 
um, but I'll happily run uh, one for, for any TRM member who wants to have a look at it and see what it picks up. And it also provides not just, we don't just do the interpretation, but we also provide the specific questions to ask around any areas of concern that come up for that person and what to look out for warning signs in the way that they answer. Uh, so there's a lot of support to make sure that you're not, by the time you get to final stage of interview, you're not just having that sort of general, very friendly, chummy, but not actually particularly productive uh, interview with a person. You're actually, you now know where the potential bruises are and you can poke those bruises and see how they react. Yeah, no, fantastic. Uh, absolutely superb. And it's interesting, we, we did a, a bit of a calculation and we, we figured, we estimated that every time a recruiter leaves your business, it costs the equivalent of about £250,000 worth of net fee income to replace that person. Um, so the, the net fee income you need to generate to cover the costs of, you know, uh, management, retraining, management, dying time, rehiring, everything else is about a quarter of a million pounds, which is a hell of a lot of money. So if working with you guys can help reduce that by 50 percent, I'll bloody well take it straight away. So um, for those of you listening today, please make sure you reach out to Dom and at least do an SBQ and try it out for yourself and see uh, what it tells you. And, you know, if you like it, um, embed it into your business. We'd highly recommend it. I know a lot of the TRM members are very gushing about what they do with you guys and the impact it's making. So, um, Dom, really great to have you on, on today. Thank you for your time. Really appreciate it. I don't think this will be the last time. I think we've got a lot more things we can talk about. And I'm, I've got a whole load of actions here that I'm going to drill deep into now to really unearth what the hell is going on in our industry from that point of view. And I might come back to you and ask you some of those questions if that's okay. But, um, Dom Walters, thanks so much indeed. Really appreciate it. James, thank you. It's a pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. Pleasure. Thanks a lot, Dom. Cheers. Don't forget to follow the TRM podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts for a new exciting episode every week.